My name's Cathy Caton and you're listening to The Sipping Forecast. This is a podcast on all things drinks and the brilliant people who make the industry exactly what it is. I am delighted today that we're talking to one of the real luminaries of the booze scene. It's the author, spirits judge and all-round gin whiz, Mr David T. Smith. How have you been doing over, over the last year? Let's get that one dealt and done with. Um, I think make the best of it, as we all have. I think I think certainly uh, things have changed, and you've got had to be flexible with it. But actually, I'm generally quite excited about like what's coming up in 2021 and beyond because I think new opportunities have presented themselves. So yes, there's been a lot of dreadful stuff as well, but you know you've got to make the best of it and go go on and be stronger. I think otherwise, I mean, where would you be <laughs> crying and? somebody who in any standard year would spend quite a lot of time gallivanting around all over the place lots of trips lots of travel visiting people tasting stuff how's it been not to be doing that um uh, it's not too bad because I generally quite like being at home (laughs) so it's not I don't really mind too much uh my wife and I we we had a long distance relationship for many 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 years and so now like it's still quite novel being together so (laughs) So that's not so bad. But yeah, it's a shame not to go out and, and you know miss some of the stuff in America and places like that. And uh, I was very fortunate that we came back from quite a long trip in America, probably in February in 2020. So I got a little bit of a fix in then. And I think I went to Switzerland as well. So I packed quite a lot in before we couldn't do anything else. Um, so yeah, at least I'm fortunate for that. Hopefully we'll get there. But you know, these things take time when it's ready it'll happen the one question that everybody gets on this podcast is how have you ended up doing what you do what's the path that's led you to this pretty glamorous sounding career well started off pretty straightforward I was just interested in in drinks and and also I was always interested in like what was the thing that made these different products different for want of a better term what's that what was the variation um so I actually started off like looking into vodka and things like that and I was interested in like you know how is this vodka compared to this one and all these kind of things and then realized sort of at the time well you know other people do write about vodka and there's so many vodkas on the market you'd never be able to properly get a handle on it and I thought, well, gin, there's not so many gins on the market because there wasn't then. There was like less than 100. Um, so I thought, oh, gin, gin is what is what I'll do. And that'll be what I'll spend my time doing. And then I can kind of, at least at the time, know the category inside out. And of course, anyone who has any knowledge on anything quickly realises that the more you study about it, the less you actually know. So I think I, I think I know less now than relatively than I did then. But there you go. That's what happened. And now in this world, as you just just alluded to, of, of thousands of brands, I think probably by the end of this podcast, there'll be another three will have will have launched. Oh, yeah, just had an email for another one, just locked it. No, you know. Anyway, so I moved, made this sort of conscious decision to move to gin. And then I go to different bars. I was working in London at the time and, and I'd bring up the bar. There's very little to do in my job that I had at the time. Um, so I bring up different bars and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, what what gins and stuff? do you have and then I'd go and visit in my lunchtime and go and try all these different gins I had a little book and I'd write down these notes for my own reference and then my wife said oh well why don't you like you know do a bit more write it down do a blog and I did a couple of bits about cocktails and then started 
reviewing gins and then different opportunities came up and you have chance encounters often chance encounters start by having some sort of not not disagreement it sounds very aggressive but you know a, a debate with someone about things and then opportunities to, often adversity seems to provide um quite a lot of opportunity I think I'm quite stubborn I'm like right well if they think that I'll show them come on then <laughs> and actually that's one of the things that I, that I want to ask you about the the, uh, the whole kind of COVID and lockdown experience that we've all been in about what you think the opportunities and chances and things might be coming out of this as we hopefully can start looking towards the future what do you think is going to shift and change what's going to stick yeah I mean I think going back to the bars will be will be great um I think there'll be some pent-up demand and I think there's probably also going to be a need to take a slightly different approach to bars as well because people will have been used to not being with them for so long um but I think that is there's a lot of opportunity there for sure um I think that certain events thing and aspects of that will change. I think we'll still have the trade shows like Imbibe and things like that, though, because there's such a value to that. And of course, one of the things I work on is the Craft Distilling Expo. And we're very much hoping to be back in a physical presence, although we've also got our virtual conference in April to actually do both this year and make the best of, of both of those things. But product launches, will they go back to being physical events? Maybe not. And maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I've done a, a couple, I did two last week. And they were absolutely fascinating. But the quality of the different people that you can get in one place, you've got people from, it was a Kenyan gin, so there's people that were in Kenya dialing in. It was it was magnificent. And we had, in October, when we did a, a virtual distilling conference, we did a gin um workshop and that's one of the other things I do is do these one-day workshops teaching people how to make gin um, again got another one coming up in April um, <laughs> but um, we had people from Australia and Canada and uh, different places in Europe Russia UK Ireland and different places in the US and we had someone from South America and I thought getting all these people together to have this discussion to learn about gin um, you just think how much money and resources would have taken to get them all together let alone any you know sustainability climate issue and actually I mean it is lovely getting together but maybe we can just be a bit more sparing about it and maybe we um we treasure it a bit more but that because it's a bit more an event it still means that there can be you know that economic impact that that would have in the same way that's the one thing I've spoken to some other writers that we we think there will be the occasional physical product launch but the others I think we might do some more more virtual things and actually in many ways I think it's makes it a lot easier for people that don't live in London like yourself and me I'm down in Portsmouth I mean it's not that hard for us to get into London in honesty but if you you know it does make it a little bit easier for people to get involved and I think that that's that's good really. For somebody who's turned a passion and an interest into a job and a career how do you sustain the passion and interest I think I'm quite curious by nature and I think that I'm often looking into different things so like gin is my mainstay like that's the thing I know the ins and outs of but like I started off maybe being more interested in flavor just very top line flavor stuff and a bit about cocktails and is this a gin for a gin tonic is it a gin for a Negroni kind of thing now I'm get more more interested in some aspects more of the history but also some aspects of the production and how do you treat different botanicals with the dry and the fresh and 
looking at down into the chemical components that are in botanicals and are things uh, hydrophobic or not? Are they soluble in alcohol? Are they soluble in water? And all this in, in that field of gin, you can go down and you realize again how little that you know. Um, but then there's also new things because it's a dynamic industry. So anyone that's been following any of the bits and bobs I've been doing or seen our YouTube, um, seen that we have actually been doing quite a lot of rum stuff recently and we've been working with uh, Peter Holland from the Floating Rum Shack um, and a lot of our stuff has actually been working on botanical rums and spice drums which is kind of a you know there's a lot of similarity between gin and those things so yeah you just look for what are the new things what are the interesting things that are going on and I like to write about stuff that people aren't writing about and so that's a really good way of keeping up your enthusiasm because you're in this Still, there's still these new frontiers to explore um and that's 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 the thing that's the thing that excites me so the year of rum has been has been much talked about for quite a few years actually it has is this going to be the year of rum i think i actually think it's here i think we we um we had a competition at the very tail end of last year in december um for just for uk rum producers uh rum of the year it was called um there was no charge or anything to enter but it was just something um really just to get a handle on what's in the industry and also something to kind of promote and encourage those distillers we had about 50 entries and it was about 30 different producers all from the uk which is pretty incredible and the quality was very good as well and i think now we've got that critical mass what we'll start to see is there will be people that will be writing about it. There'll be, you know, great broadcasters who will be doing podcasts on British rum, I'm sure. <laughs> but that gets the momentum. Like when there's a when there's a few, that's the momentum. People start talking about it. There's articles. People see this as a story, and then other people hear about it. And when people can go back to visiting distilleries, they'll be able to go and see the rum being made, um, however that might be. And that's a huge part, I think, of capturing the public's imagination and getting them to buy into the spirit. That's what we saw with gin. Like gin was ticking along and it was doing okay. And then you had like Sipsmith and Sacred and these other places, and then you could visit. And it was about where was the gin made, which was never really a question before. It was about what the botanicals were. And then suddenly where it was made became really important. And then if people have a distillery that's, you know, 20, 30 miles with, from where they live and they can visit it, suddenly they understand more about rum and, and they've tried it. And it might be different to the rums that they've tried beforehand because things are different making rum in the UK and to making it in the Caribbean, for example. And that's the reason why I think this might be the year of rum. A lot of it will be supported by the botanical rums, which are like rums, like a gin, but made with a rum base and not with juniper and also the spice drums. That will be a big driving part, but we'll also see the unflavoured rums, whether they're unaged or whether they're aged. We'll start to see more of that as well. Mm. The whole thing about rums, it, the massive diversity of it as a, as a category, and I guess probably from a, from a widespread British uh, perspective, we haven't got hundreds of years of experience with it. Small groups of people have, but, but there are so many differences about how you make it what you put in it are there rules not necessarily uh where does your flavor and color come from the whole caramel question ah uh, yeah there's so much to to learn and, and know if somebody is thinking you know i've not given rum a go since that 
bad mistake when I was 18. I'm up for giving things a spin. Where would you recommend someone has an entry point into it? Mm, so if it, it would partly depend on what else they like to drink. That would be my first thing that I'd ask them. So if they said, actually, I'm quite a fan of gin, for example, then I might take them towards something like um, there's a forum, which is from Portsmouth Distillery. I've got to give them a plug. Um, <laughs> there's a Scratch Distillery there in, in Hertfordshire. You've got Solcombe as well and, uh, and brand new Trash and Treasure from Warners. Uh, and um, I think there's um, Ninetales, I think, which is from Griffiths Brothers near Amersham, uh, sort of Buckinghamshire. Um, and they have all done botanical rums. So they have, they're like partway between gin partway between rum and they work very nicely with tonic so if you're a gin and tonic fan that would kind of be you know a starting point I would say to move into it I think very few people move into a spirit by drinking the spirit neat I think they move into it via the vehicle if you like of a drink and I think um for those that like gin and tonics moving to a rum and tonics and trying some stuff is a is a good show and then you can get down and more into some of the aged products and some of the unaged products and then you can really get into it but I think that's probably where I would start because particularly if they had a bad experience probably they were drinking loads and loads of rums and cokes it's probably not even necessarily the rum that was the problem it was all the sugar and stuff in the coke <laughs> Absolutely. And it probably is for, for lots of people, their, their first, if not only experiences with with rum. And it's just but it's such a category where there's, there's so much to explore and get stuck into. But yeah, maybe sacking the Coke is the first step. You've been pretty blooming busy, actually, over over lockdown. I don't think you've sat and dedicated yourself to watching the entire output of Netflix. You've been doing many no. other creative things. But way more than I normally do. What's going on? <laughs> Tell me about your latest book. Ah, so the latest book is uh, Negroni, um, and it's about Negronis, funnily enough, um, written with the fabulous Kelly Rivers, of, um, who's the brand ambassador for Sipsmith in the US and is just been awarded the Icons of Gin brand ambassador of the year. So congratulations to Kelly on that. Um, it's, uh, I did another book a few years ago called Gin Tonica, uh, and that was about the Spanish style serve of um, of the gin and tonic and we had about 30 odd different recipes or something like that in there um, and so this is a, this is a similar thing but with Negroni so it's not about the history there's some fantastic books on the history and the culture and Gaz Reagan did some superb stuff this is really about cocktails about the recipes the variations of Negroni that you can kind of look at that's really the approach that we've taken with that any standouts for you anything that you've just gone well, this is just I mean obviously they're all fantastic but um <laughs> we've we split it into classic white Negronis largely because the publisher was like I really like white Negronis so I think you should put a chapter in there I'm like fair enough challenge accepted um and we uh, one's on experimental which is some non-gin Negronis as I lean forward and whisper into the microphone, um, such as the Kingston, which is the rum one, which is fantastic. And there's a number of others as well. Uh, and then we did some seasonal uh, Negronis. So, you know, the Negroni for Christmas, the Negroni for Valentine's Day or whatever it might be. Real standouts. I really like the clarified Negroni, which is you make your Negroni and then you have some acid and you have some full fat milk and you kind of mix it together. And that curdling process takes all of the colour out or, or a lot of the colour and then you filter it and then you're left with what tastes like a Negroni but it's kind of like a like a sort of colour of a Chardonnay but also has a beautiful creamy texture and it's 
it, on the on the sounds of it, it sounds like it's very complicated. And I wasn't sure anyone was going to make it. Um, but on Instagram already, a load of people have started making it. So I was just really pleased to see that that's worked. So that's definitely a stand up for me. Um, and there's one which is um, a, a Negroni Coke float, <laughs> which is in the seasonal section, which is really kind of pushing pushing things out. So yeah, it's a Negroni with a little with Coke and then like the vanilla ice cream and then whipped cream. It was part of Kelly's background is she worked as a, a soda jerk in one of these, you know, ice cream parlors. Um, so we went down that kind of fruit and I tell you it is delicious it is it's exceptionally indulgent and you think would it work but it actually those flavors do match together very nicely so so if you're wondering what to do with the coke that we've told you not to drink with your rum <laughs> here you go no zero <laughs> waste with your with your drinks because I think one of the things I'm really interested to see if it if it sticks post lockdown is the whole people getting so much into I suppose with more time on their hands and, and an array of really good home delivered ingredients but people actually really getting into making drinks at home making cocktails at home me I love a Negroni because I can get the proportions right and I bloody people parts or die it. yes <laughs> so it's um so I'm really interested to see if that then how that then translates into people's behaviour when they're out and about. Are people going to change the drinks that they order in pubs or their expectations of serves? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I guess. I mean, when people become when people become more informed, and essentially that's what we're talking about, isn't it? If you've been making it yourself, um, then I think that, yes, people might become a little bit more discerning. I think it, partly it's going to depend on what the scenario is that you're in, what's the situation, what sort of establishment you're in, because it's not always applicable everywhere. Um, but they also might be up for trying slightly different things. So you might find where previously, like a bartender, like, well, I don't know how much, how crazy I want to get with this, because maybe it, it, it's not mass appeal enough. You might find actually that there is a bit more of that going on. So you you can, I think, um, I think it's only a good thing, really. And I think it'll give some bartenders the chance to explore a bit more and and also like look at different ways of um finding different kinds of revenues and things i mean i know a few distilleries have started doing not just virtual tastings but they're doing like they'll make they have three gins or something and they make three different negronis and they send them out to people and then they have a negroni tasting or a martini tasting they would really think of doing this before but now People are doing it. I was on a martini one the other day. Great interaction with people. Loads and loads of people on the on the call. People absolutely loved it. And there's no reason why that also couldn't be done in a bar as well. I think that's slightly more event side of things. We'll see a little bit more of. But I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for the bartenders. It gives them a different focus on things. It's just a bit more imaginative and it gives a bit more of an experience to the the drinkers. And I think also, again, the, the experience of things, I mean, that's what the lockdown's done, isn't it? We're not experiencing very much apart from being at home. So I think there'll be even more demand for experience than, than potentially there was anyway. And that has been increasing over the last few years. What's your drink of lockdown been? Um, oh, what a good question. The one that strikes me that I tried, I'd never had it before and I thought it was genius. I'm glad that you're sitting down, prepare yourself for this. It's gin with some Coke <laughs> and a splash of cranberry juice. And it was invented by Sam Carter, um, a friend of mine. He's the 
Lavastoke Mill ambassador for the whole distillery. And um, yeah, he created this. I just think it's fantastic. To me, that sounds like a, sw- a, a late night swoop through the fridge. <laughs> what left? Oh, I picked the wrong thing up. Whoops. At least it wasn't tomato juice. But the, the sweetness of the Coke and then that, that slight tartness from the cranberry works quite nicely. And I also think that the botanical nature or that aromatic nature of the Coke works quite nicely with the botanicals of the gin. I am quite a fan of a gin and Coke as much as aghast as many people would be about it. And I do happen to know that Brighton gin works very well in the gin and Coke, actually. I'm feeling a challenge (laughs) coming. I'm feeling a summer challenge coming on. For me, one of the things we've always wanted to get across when talking about our, our gin is about just getting people trying stuff and playing around and not being afraid to experiment with things. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's there's no right or wrong. As long as you like the taste of it, that's that's the most important thing. And actually, I think that this works really well. But that little cranberry, I don't know, it's just something about it. It just adjusts it. So I'm, I'm not saying I've been drinking loads and loads and loads of that, but nevertheless, that's something that I've tried in the, this year, actually. And I thought, oh, yeah. One thing not to try because I've, I've done the trying for you don't go for the gin and barocca it's not a winner so other big things on the horizon we should talk all things hall of fame tell me yes paragraph publishing they do icons of gin and the gin hall of fame and i was very very surprised to be inducted into the hall of fame as member number seven which i was quite pleased by i thought oh it's a bit like the perfume and then my wife said like also a bit like 007 isn't it and you're a big james bond fan and i thought yeah i really should have noticed that shouldn't i so i was very pleased it's it's a podcast so you can't see it but um i they gave me a cocktail shaker which is engraved which is quite nice and i like that a lot better than like some big chunk of glass and it actually works. You can use it. So that's also quite practical. It's generally very nice to get the recognition. I think that's the, that's the case. I, I'm a big believer in trying to keep, particularly gin in India, as open as possible. It's particularly when people start up, they don't necessarily have a huge amount of money to work on different things. So anything that I can do to help, you know, within reason, little tips and that, as long as I don't have to write anything down, I'm always very open to, to help people. So in that respect, that aspect of it is is very nice. People that are in this Hall of Fame, they're amazing. I mean, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the other people. I mean, it's people like Chris Heyman, Charles Maxwell, made so many gins and so many great gins. Desmond Payne from Beefeater, Leslie from Hendrix, just magnificent, and, and other people as well. But just like real top, top people. So to be counted amongst them is um hum- well yeah quite humbling in honesty see all those lunch hours spent scurrying around <laughs> trying out what they had that kind of thing is worth doing yeah I think it's about that passion and I think you almost get a little bit obsessive with it and I think that's that drive that you get and then that and that's how you work and that thing will change that focus changes from time to time but it always ends up coming back to gin and I think I do think gin is a lovely industry to work in. I mean, there are other industries that, that are, are good as well, but I do see friends and colleagues that are in different bits of the drinks industry and it can get a bit snippy sometimes. And I think generally gin has been a lot friendlier and I think it's quite small. So a lot of people know each other a lot more. And, and I just think that's lovely, actually. And I also think and, and hope certainly that there's plenty of room for everyone. Big world out there. There's just, it's so endlessly versatile. There are a million different ways you can do it and approach it yeah and there are aspects of gin production that really only people have been dipping the toe 
into doing these things. So there is plenty to explore, let alone all the different places where they are that are now making gin. I mean, that's that's the big the other big thing. That's the thing that really excites me um, is these different countries that are making gin. So I tried maybe five or six different Chinese gins this year, and they were they were really good. The quality was was exceptional. And sometimes when a, a new country comes on to sort of making gin or or they might have made something at some point that was very domestic, but when they come up with a bit more of a brand, sometimes because no one's done it before, they don't really know, well, you know, they kind of have to muddle their way through it and it takes a little while to get the quality up there. But these kind of were straight out and done very well. So I expect we might see a bit more of that. But the exciting thing for people that are distillers in the UK or wherever is, if there's a domestic scene of gin starting in China, then the gin in general will become more known and people there'll be more demand for it. And then people will be like, well, what I really want is a gin from a seaside resort or something like that. Um, and that gives a lot of opportunities for other people as well. So that I that's one to watch to see um, how, how things shape up there. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for some distillers out there as well. And through your your work with the the craft distilling expo you've helped a huge number of distillers get get started or establish ones make friends make contacts do stuff what are the plans for for this year went virtual last year it was fantastic so the plan is we've got later in april we're we're going to have a virtual distilling conference so it's going to be over three days the a lot of the sessions will be pre-recorded so you can watch them ahead of time and then there'll be live question and answer sessions so it's kind of that balance between the two because otherwise you can be sat watching something for a very long period of time so we want to try and give people flexibility so so that's that's coming up very soon. We will have a how to make gin workshop ahead of that, and also the barrel management, maturation management class with the excellent Julian or I on the Tuesday beforehand as well. So there'll be a few. They're a little bit more intimate, more in depth kind of classes. So we'll be doing that. Lots of different talks. Obviously, stuff on gin and rum and, and a whole range of different technical things from the production side, but also from the marketing side and the branding and that kind of thing. Uh, we would talk again about sustainability because it's a very important part, an increasingly important part in distilling. Uh, and there have been developments even since October in that realm. We're hoping to do, because as I said, we do a couple of these little competitions. So we're probably going to do maybe some sort of RTD of the year maybe just before the summer or at the beginning of summer, maybe something like that. Depends how things sort of pan out, how easy it is to do such a judging, because all this carbonation, you kind of need to do it in person. So um, we'll be doing that. And then fingers crossed for October, we will be back in person, I hope. But who really knows at the moment? We can't make too many definitive plans. But last day in September, first day in October is our, is our plan, if all goes well. The challenge of working out how much of it is virtual how much of it is um, physical. I mean, the physical aspect of it, as long as it's all safe and everything to do so, it really can't be matched because that those discussions, those chance encounters with different people, you don't get that from the from the virtual. So we'll certainly like make sure that the talks and things are recorded because we want to have kind of a sort of archive of footage that we can use throughout the year for different things, which I think we're already starting to build on. But I think the real focus is as long as we can, it will be on a physical in October and then so supplemented by just to keep that conversation going and, and that for in, in April and uh, you always get great ideas for the next 
the next session's talks, you know? So some of a lot of the sessions in April, they're from October, and then October will have some of April's sessions that people have said, oh, why doesn't someone talk about this or something like that? Fantastic stuff. So like a proper girly swat, I've, I've, I've bought my ticket for, for April, but I strongly look forward to us all being together in the autumn, all things being, being equal. Yeah. You alluded to it right at the beginning of our chat about this fantastic genuine community that that exists within the the craft distilling world and it's one of the things that makes it a great space to to work in exactly it's that weird combo of fun and work <laughs> it's only a very gray line in between in between those those things just, no, it's good that it's there's so much fun involved because there are yeah. quite a few long hours in there there are there are yeah i think it, if it wasn't as fun i don't think we'd spend as much time doing what we were doing <laughs> the uh the lawyer who had the cat filter on to be honest it's like ah yes the, cat, yes, God, the... the whole yes i the position of my uh my camera lens on this computer is, is unfortunate to say the least and i've just got i've just had to get to grips with how my face looks over the last year and i could have really really done without that to be honest <laughs> excellent all of that absolutely brilliant right let me just Good. make sure that i actually 